Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. I want to talk to you this morning. Um, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about about fear. Uh, the definition of it broadly stated is that fear is an emotion induced. If you go click on it, Google it, go to cyclopedic references or whatnot, you're going to find this standard definition repeated hundreds of times. Fear is an emotion induced by perceived danger or threat that causes physiological changes and ultimately behavioral changes, physiological and psychological changes, such as, watch, fleeing, hiding. I'm reading this definition, and it's important. Freeing, hiding, you freeze over the perception of traumatic events. Events. That's what fear is and what fear fear does. This past week, as I mentioned to you, that I, I taught on, on Hebrews, and one of the, the, the things that I emphasized is that fear, is, the life of faith, listen to me, is living in the grip of that which we can't grasp. I want to say it again. It's living in the grip of that which we can never fully grasp. It's always out there just beyond. And that's important, that it's just beyond. Because the moment we can reduce God or faith in God to these little definable things. As a matter of fact, this part isn't in my notes, but I'm going to share it. Because I, I think I finally came to terms with who and what um, God may have called um, me to be. And um, the water company, Avion, they, uh, they still fill and supply these millions of bottles of water from one, one fountain in the French Alps in the south of France. From one fountain. I thought of that this week as I was wrestling with how I tend to present the Word of God, and I was somewhat relieved after 38 years of beating myself up um, because I was headed to teach this class, and I received the great counsel. Be careful. Matter of fact, be careful you don't do the fire hydrant thing. And I whipped around, and I said, Maybe I'm not giving people a drink out of the fire hydrant. Maybe I'm encouraging them to jump in the fountain. Because, see, my goal is every time I share the Word of God, I can give you a bottle of forensic theology and say, here's a piece of God. And it would be a good piece to take home with you, and I think you could drink it from that bottle. But here's the thing I can't do, and I think it's the mistake that we make, that we take this and say, Hey, John, here, I want you to have this bottle, brother, there, it's for you. Now, I want you to know you've been to the fountain. See, he can drink that bottle of water, but he hasn't been to the fountain. Jeremiah 2.13 says, my people have forsaken, done two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn for themselves sisters. The, today's contemporary application is the people have forsaken the fountains and created bottled water companies. And he says, they don't understand that their bottles are broken, cracked, and can never hold the water from the fountain. My goal, when Jesus would go further and he said, I want you to tell you, the Spirit of God is coming, and when he does, he's going to take up a residence in you, and he's going to be in you, a fountain of living water, springing up to eternal life, life beyond life that you know, that bubbling up and flowing. So my goal, I've, I exhaled this week at 62 years old, nearly 40 years of ministry, and say, God, I think I finally un understand my calling. How many know it was a long journey? Okay. I, I can say with great peace and conviction that it's my job, I believe, 
to lead you to the fountain and leave you splashing in the fountain. I don't care that you can grasp the fountain. You never will. But here's the good news. You can bring your own containers and fill them up all that you want. And it's that, that's where we're going to go and that's where we're going to end up. And that was a free umbrella over every sermon you have heard or will hear. Now, all right. Now, let me start because I've, I've fear results in three things. Here we go. It results in the loss of, and I think we have these on the screen. It results in the loss of the power I thought I had and that I am powerless. Fear. Fear results in the, the, the loss of the power I thought I had and I'm powerless. As I, fear just says, I, 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 I don't have any choices here. I'm stuck. Number two, fear results in the place I thought I held. That is, I don't have a place. Now, I want to I want to give an example of that very clearly. Let me back up. Amanda, just leave both of those right there. Okay, let's go on to the third one, then I'm going to come back to them. And finally, I guess we can't get all three of them on one screen then. The perception I thought I knew. That is, I can't trust my mind. Now, let's rewind on these. Go ahead and put the first two or one or two, one back up there, if you would. Thank you. Number one, that fear tells me that I am powerless. Okay? There we go. They're all on the screen, same screen. Okay? The power I thought I had, I don't have. I don't have the power to choose, the power to go forward, and so I'm stricken with fear. Now let's take that in the basest of senses. If a 500-pound bear, bear steps out from behind something, we're going to get fight or flight. Mostly it's going to be flight, because I've been instantaneously convinced that I don't have the power I thought I had five seconds before. And so I'm going to run. And see what it says? It says we run away and we hide. That's important. Secondly, the place I thought I held, I don't have a place. Let me tell you this. There is nothing that more greatly gives place than love in covenant. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. On the front row is my wonderful wife of 40 years. If you're here for the first time, my name is Brenda. By the way, speaking of the first time, we have, what did I say? Your name is Brenda? I said my name is Brenda? I knew that. I was getting on to something else. My name is Brenda. That's Tom right there. We decided this week to change names, and uh, we've been together that long. Her name is Brenda. I'm Tom. And I was going to look at the, uh, is it Shelby Church of God? Is that right? We have a youth group from the Shelby Church of God that has joined us for worship. New Hope, why don't you welcome them here this morning? It is awesome having you guys here to join us in worship. The, uh, now, she has loved me for a long time. Tragically, I was the first one to say, I love you. And I don't know how long I had to wait until she finally released the fear of that verbiage and said those words back to me. But it did result in us getting married. It did result in the love we exchanged in her giving me a place in her life and me giving her a place in my life that no one on the planet holds. That sense of place born of love is just amazing. As a matter of fact, I don't want to poke at painful places, but there are people sitting in this room and watching online who have been through divorce, and they will all tell you that first feeling they had to deal with more than anything else was that sense of place. The place that you extended and said it was only for me. I don't have that place anymore. 
I am not that special person to you. It is massively disrupting, and it results in fear, and in that fear, we begin to react, and we start looking for a place in all the wrong places, okay? Then the third one is possession, perception, or my mind, what I thought I knew I really don't know. How many know three weeks ago, we thought we knew what the next month was going to be like? A month ago, we thought we knew where we would be going and traveling. And right now, if you have plans to fly anywhere internationally, it's been almost entirely eliminated. And, and even domestic flights are being eliminated. And I wouldn't be surprised that if the virus does accelerate, that we will be restricted from interstate travel to some extent. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Like nothing we've seen in our lifetime. You see, but just a month ago, what we thought we knew, we don't know. And when those things happen, it strikes fear. When I'm put, where I suddenly discover I don't have the power I thought I had, fear comes. When I discover I don't have the place I thought I held, fear comes. When I discover the perception I thought I knew, I don't know, fear comes. Amazingly enough, this exact scenario is presented in a very familiar passage of Scripture for those of us who are part of the New Hope family. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It's in the Garden of Eden. What happens in Genesis chapter 3 is the serpent slithers in, and he begins to whisper things to them. Just leave all three of those up there, if you would, Amanda. He begins to whisper things to him, that, them, that does, all, that does all of these things right here. He said, is it really true that God said, and I think God, I think you're misled. Uh, a couple of things happen uh, when, when we encounter fear and the fear of our faith, and that is this. God is insufficient, and my faith is misplaced. Those were the two things that happened in the Garden of Eden, along with all three of these. God is insufficient, and my faith has been misplaced. And so sure enough, they thought, well, I'm, I really don't have the power I thought I had because what God said he didn't mean because he just said it. And then in keeping with that, I don't have the place I thought I had. Watch the tragedy of this. And so they run away and hide from God. And sure enough, because they remain hidden and won't come out of that place, they are ejected from the place they thought they had, the Garden of Eden. And then finally, what I thought I knew, I guess I don't know. And the adversary slithers in and says, you know, God said, and, and he knows that in the day this, and he tested, tested everything. Now, there's an amazing thing in response to this. I, I want to land on two things that I want to get through quickly. That the, re the response to this, I believe, is twofold. All right? Now, let me see what bridge I'm going to build first. Have that cue ready again, uh, Amanda. But let's look at... No, don't do this. Okay, if you go to, to verse on down to verse 7, let's have that Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, I think. Uh, let me find it here. I printed the scripture. The eyes of both of them were opened. They, per they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sewed together fig leaves and hid themselves. Let's go to verse 8. Okay. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees in the garden. Now, last year we studied, everyone pay close attention, because I don't have the time this morning to dig in. We still have some things to do at the, a couple things to do at the end. I'm trying to keep that all squeezed into our time here this morning. Last year, we talked about the phrase, cool of the day. 
That is the identical word cool, and day can be translated hour or time. The only other time in the Bible, everyone listen please, that the word cool prior to this is mentioned, it's translated in chapter 1 of Genesis verse 2, and the Holy Spirit says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. That word ruach is translated spirit, breath, breathe, wind, all throughout the Old Testament. And listen, the translators translate it based on context. I, I spent scores of hours. That word troubled me and the phrasing troubled me. I'm retelling this. Many of you have heard this several times. But I called a Hebrew scholar and I said, Dr. Martin, I need to run something by you. And he said, fire away. I said, is it true the Hebrew, I said, the Hebrew language is in, interpreted by context? He said, well, of course, that's any language, you know, comes from one to another. I said, okay, great. The phrase cool of the day, ruach, spirit, he said, exactly. It can mean spirit or breath. And I said, isn't it true that the translation of the word cool is sort of a mechanical effect of the term, or semantic domains in his language. The he said, well, that's a good way of phrasing it. So it means this, that if I blow on my hand, it feels cool. That is not what the word ruach means. It's the effect of wind blowing. And so the translators translated in the cool of the day. And I asked him a question. I said, and I gave him a bunch of background. I said, having said that, is there any reason why this verse couldn't be translated? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at spirit time. The phone went silent. About eight or nine seconds later, he says, Tom, oh my goodness, absolutely. And his voice began to just sort of break as a point of worship impacted him. He says, how have I missed that? And he started rattling off a bunch of Old Testament and Hebrew mechanical things that he lost me on. But he says, here's the reason why, blah, 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 blah. This is an important understanding because here's the deal. When the adversaries slipped up to them and said, you know, is it true that God has said, and so they begin to be fearful about their sense of power they thought they had, the ability to choose and define their own existence based upon the parameters given by God. They lost their sense of place, and suddenly their perspective was shattered. What they thought they knew, suddenly they didn't know. But for the life of me, I've made jokes about this. I don't understand why they didn't just say, you know what? God is due to come by here in just the next few minutes. It's that time. It's almost spirit time. Why don't you wait until he gets here and let's see what he has to say. Amen. Beloved, can I tell you in the face of fear, the first of two things I want to say is we do not wait for God to show up and hear what his word has to say. In the face of fear, we react, we're frantic, we flail, we do all sorts of things just as Adam and Eve did. It's stamped because we have the fear that the power we thought we had is gone, that the, that the place we thought we held has been withdrawn, and that the perspective or the ability of our mind to think and see clearly. It's with that in mind that I come to the words of Paul speaking to Timothy that we've looked at many times in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. This gives that verse brand new light and appreciation. Now, you will notice that in other translations, which I really do like the, the, the New International Translation, um, God has not given us, and we've studied it here, that the word spirit there, uh, the, the, 
academy and, and theologians say, has every right to be interpreted with a capital S. So that would make spirit what? Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Say that again. For God has not given us a Holy Spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Is that not good to know that, oh, that Paul would have been hanging around the Garden of Eden to say, wait, wait for spirit time. Because when he shows up, the fear that is gripping you right now, which is what? That you're powerless. There's a Holy Spirit that's going to show up who has all power. I want you to just wait a minute. There's a Holy Spirit that's going to show up who is a spirit of love that gives you a place. It will be proven on a cross that he will die to secure a place for you and give you an identity that can't be compared to any worth or thing you will ever find in the world. God is going to have the final word through the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says he's a Holy Spirit of a sound mind, which means you will be able to think and see clearly and make choices about what to do next. But here's the thing. Will you wait? Will you wait? Psalm 27 is replete with that. That what will come, though things come against me, whom shall I fear? What will I do? And then verse 14 says, but I will wait on the Lord. Psalm 62 says, in two stanzas that are parallel, he says, my soul waits alone in, waits in silence for you alone, O God. Then verse 5, he says it differently. Soul, wait in silence. He commands his soul to stand in peace. Beloved, can I encourage you today to rise in front of the 2 Corinthians 3 mirror of God's glory, in front of the book of James mirror of God's word, to stand in front of the mirror of God's word and look at your soul in the mirror and say, I'm going to stand on the word of God irrespective of what my feelings may be. The adversary is still whispering, still trying to trick me that I'm facing a situation on this planet where suddenly my power has been taken away, my place has been dislodged, and my perspective or ability to make decisions and choices has been snatched from me. No, we stand in front of the mirror of God's word and we do what David did as he looked and says, soul, we're speaking, soul, shut up. Soul is the seat of the emotions and will. And some of you need to stand in front of the word of God and say, shut up, shut up. You're speaking louder than the word of God. My soul will wait in silence for you alone, oh God. Will you wait on the Lord? The last and very brief aspect of that is this. There's a way that we can expedite God's presence. We study it here a lot. Psalm 22 says this, Thou art holy, O God, who are enthroned upon the praises of your people. That's a verse you hear in this place almost every week. The reason being, when we begin to worship pointedly and subjectively, God's word presents us with the, listen, with the suspicion that God is somehow manifest on the other side of a veil that thinly separates us from the other side that, that, that there's a throne in the spirit dimension, the throne representing God's authority. How many know, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could bring the authority of the throne of God to bear on our current circumstance? Wouldn't it be wonderful? I don't know that we believe this. I don't know that we really are people of faith. I'm not beating, I'm saying us. I don't know that we do this. I want to ask you this 
foolish, childlike question. How many in the moment of quandary when you're feeling like you're powerless, your place has been taken, and what you thought you knew you don't know because everything changed five minutes ago? How many here really take that moment? I'm not waving a flag, I'm about to say. I'm not waving a flag of I'm better than you spiritually. I'm waving a flag of something I've come to depend on. My wife will tell you, I'm a thinker. I overthink everything. I think. She prays first, I think. Because by the time I'm screaming out to God, you know, let's use the example of the boat going across the sea. Jesus is there. It's about to sink. It's going. I'm one of the guys bailing until the last minute before I ask God. Brenda will begin to pray when the storm starts. Not me. I'm going to bail. I'm going to remind God, hey, I've been busting my backside here. Can you help a brother out? That's sort of my prayer. I've done everything I can. Ephesians 6, having done all to stand, saying, I've done all I can do to stand. But there's a different option. There's a different option that says, I'm going to sing my way out of the valley. Is that just a fun song? I stood in a hospital room with the Jackson family, with Debbie and Mark and her kids, and Debbie's sister and her children. And as I walked into the room, they were gathered around the bed, tears running down their face. Dan, where'd you go? How far away are you? He'll come back. Pastor Dan, run back out here real fast. Thank you. Uh, B-flat will be close enough. We can find another kid after that. I walked into the room, and they were singing, <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about thy name. They were singing that song, and there was this peace to fill the room. He's my master. Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. I walked in there singing that old song, all the family gathered there, and there was this peace that filled the room. All the tears were running down their face. Dolores was hanging between two worlds. Within hours, she would go home to be with the Lord. She and Corky haven't been here for weeks, going on months because of her illness, but they used to sit right back there. They would sing and worship. Listen, is it placebo I'm talking about? We just begin to sing a song because we're too weak-minded to think our way through it. No, I believe God's enthroned upon his praises. I've given to you so many times the biblical example of a good Jewish boy that could quote and knew Psalm 22. The Lord's enthroned on the praises of his people. John the Revelator was put on an island of captivity, an isolated, insulated island called Patmos, a small little volcanic penal institution. There was no way off. The churches over which he has oversight seem to be falling to pieces or comes at the word of Jesus to him. There's nothing he can do about it. But after he's heard the bad news about his church's Revelation 4 continues what he had said earlier, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That's coded language because when John would write, 
chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, 10 times he would use the word worship. And he said, people who worship, worship in spirit and in truth. So he's using that language in the book of Revelation when he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which I passionately believe meant I was worshiping on the Lord's day. All alone, circumstances out of control. He would very well seem as though the power he once held was now taken. The, pl the place that he had had is gone. And no matter what he wants to think about it, he's trapped on an island. But God wants to show him something that as he begins, and I don't know what song he may have been singing. Probably from the Psalms. He may have been singing, The Lord is my life and my salvation. The Lord is my life and my salvation. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And he said, about that time, a door opened up between two worlds. And he said, a trumpet blast, da, 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 and a voice said, hey, hey, look up here. Come here. It says he turns around. You've already heard me tell you this 50 times. What did he see? A throne. And God on his throne. Just like Psalm 22 said. Can I tell you the reason that, that peace filled that room the other night? That hospital room? Peace filled that room because as they begin to sing and summon the presence of God, you see, they were waiting on the Lord. But can I give you, there's a little secret about expediting his presence. If you just say, well, I'm just sort of waiting for God to show up. What are you doing? Just waiting. You praying? No, just waiting. Pastor Tom said to wait for the Lord to show up. He's going to show up anytime, I'm sure. Are you doing anything? You no, I'm just waiting. God's going to show up. There's a way you can expedite that, even if you don't feel like it. If it's nothing other than, Jesus loves me, this I know. Can I tell you in another realm, hear me, beloved, it happens in the face of coronavirus, in the face of all of this that's hit our economy and everything else, and the power we thought we had economically appears to be evacuated from the moment. The place we thought we held is suddenly taken away. The thoughts we thought we knew are suddenly pulled out of reality, and we're going, oh my goodness, everything around me. What do we need to do? We need to do what Adam and Eve shouldn't have done and what the psalmist learned about. I need to hang out just a minute and say, before I draw a conclusion on this, I'm going to wait on the Lord. Not only am I going to wait on the Lord, I'm going to do something to expedite his presence. I'm going to open my mouth in a song. I'm going to declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm going to wait for his presence to fill the place. And here's the guarantee. Spirit time happens. What happens at spirit time? Listen, we are taken. I said I started. We are taken into the grip of that which we cannot grasp. Because there's the presence of God. We begin to sing that. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. In wonder and surrender we fall down. Why? Because something from another world just beyond the veil reaches over and touches our heart. And you say, oh, so when you pray, well, suddenly the coronavirus changes. No, it doesn't change a bit. 
The world outside me may not move a bit, but the world inside me has changed radically. Suddenly my sense of powerless is not powerless because he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to live in with, within you and it's going to be an amazing sense of power that's beyond this world. I'm going to give you a place that can never be taken because I'll never leave you or forsake you. I made the journey to the planet, died on the cross. I did worship before your eyes and said, watch me, I'll go first. That which was shattered on the last day of Eden, I am resurrecting, fixing, and bringing back in order. And not only that, I will give you by the Spirit of God, the ability to make sound-minded decisions. So don't freak out. We are people who stand in the power of worship in a song, can invite God's presence into the middle of your next decision. We will not live in the grip of fear, for God has not given us a Holy Spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We should be, of all the people on the planet, those that are not frantic and freaking out. Go read the faith chapter. You say, I don't like the faith chapter because all 16 of those guys live faithfully. And they really, it didn't really turn out so great for them, Pastor Tom. So can we just cut that chapter sort of out of the Bible? You know, those closing two verses said, the fullness of it didn't come to them because they were living for us. Can I ask you a question about our faith? We think our faith, two things that I think is wrong with contemporary faith. We think faith is he can rather than he is. We think faith is the God that I can rather than I am. And he does. Did you know he can? And did you know that he does? But that's not the place we live from. And the second aspect of, listen closely. If those 16 precious hallmark saints lived a life and God said the faith they expressed was about you. In other words, they lived out a life of faith that was far less about them than it was about us. Would God not use us as ambassadors of redemption and righteousness to a falling world that says it hasn't changed? What I can do through you is far greater than what I can do for you. But we want... Mm, 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 mm. We don't like that faith. We want a check in the mailbox tomorrow, and they do happen. We want everything to change around us, and that does happen. But the good news of that is this, is that God says above all else, famine, war, nakedness, peril, and distress, height, depth, principalities and powers, things present, things to come. But he says, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take you out of my hand. Nothing can move you from your place. Everybody stand to your feet. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.